The Edge is copyright 2006 by Scott Wittenberg. To learn more about this and other novels by the author, please visit scottwittenberg.com. And be sure to check out The Mayday Murders, another free podcast currently available by Scott Wittenberg. Chapter 14, Part 3 Here it is, Ellen said, producing the cable release from her camera bag. She screwed it into the shutter release button and held the other end between her fingers and thumb. She then peered through the camera, swiveled it slightly to the right, then tightened the knob of the tripod. After setting the shutter speed to the B setting, she stood back from the camera and pushed the cable release button with a smooth, plunging motion and held it down. After about five seconds, she released the button and the shutter snapped closed with a sharp click. Just a few more, she said as she glanced over at Adam, who was leaning back against the ledge, watching her work. Take your time, he said. That view should be around for at least the end of the night. Ellen smiled and took a few more shots, all at varying angles and exposure times. She switched to a telephoto lens for a few shots as well. I think I've got all I need, she declared, standing back from the camera as a painter would step back from the canvas. Adam handed her a beer. She took a sip, removed the camera from the tripod, and placed it into her bag. Adam broke down the tripod and laid it down beside the guitar, then watched Ellen as she made her way over to the ledge and joined him. She stood very close to him and looked directly into his eyes, her own eyes twinkling in the light coming from the city. "'Thanks for bringing me up here,' she said softly. As she spoke, Adam felt a tingling sensation all over, just from the sound of her voice and feeling the closeness of her body next to his. There was something in the way she was looking at him that nearly overwhelmed him, and he felt a powerful urge to kiss her. But he managed to refrain. Instead, he put his arm around her and stared out the brightly lit skyline. "'Looks like you got your pictures just in time. It's starting to cloud up,' he said, noting the clouds that were beginning to blow in from the north. "'The wind is starting to really pick up, too,' Ellen replied. Adam looked over at her. "'I hope you're not cold.' "'No, not at all. Just keep your arm around me and I'll be just fine,' Ellen said with a smile. For the second time that night, Adam suddenly had the feeling of déjà vu. This time it was very strong, and he struggled to remember when he had been in a similar situation before, as the eerie feeling swept over him. But as hard as he tried to recall, nothing would register in his consciousness, and the feeling left as swiftly as it had come. He looked over at Ellen again, hoping for a clue, but all he could see was a beautiful face, with enchanting brown eyes that were staring at him inquisitively. "'What are you thinking about?' she asked. "'You, and how beautiful you are?' Adam replied, not believing his own sudden candor. Ellen merely blushed and put her arm around Adam, squeezing him lightly as if to say thanks in her own special way. "'Do you have to work tomorrow?' Adam asked, not really knowing why. "'No, I'm going to take the day off,' Ellen said. "'I think a three-day weekend will do me some good.' "'Sounds like you've been working yourself pretty hard,' Adam said. "'Too hard.' Ellen took another sip of her beer and gazed out at the Manhattan skyline. Ever since she had first spoken to Adam on the street, she had felt a warmth inside that had been continuing to grow the longer she was with him. It had become even more intense when he put his arm around her, and now, as they stood together arm in arm, she was astonished at how incredibly content she felt being with him. There was a subtle strength in him that she could feel seeping into herself, and she knew right then and there she wanted him. She also knew she could no longer hide it, and indeed she didn't want to hide it from him. She wondered if he wanted her, too. She hoped so. "'I had the weirdest dream last night,' Adam suddenly said. "'I dreamt that I jumped off that bridge.' He was pointing toward the Triborough Bridge. 
You what? I tried to commit suicide by jumping off the Triboro, he declared. It was the most realistic dream I've ever had, and it was very scary. Tell me about it, Ellen said, her eyes wide with curiosity. Adam took a swig of beer and then began. Well, last night I went out with a girl that I used to date who lives out on Long Island. I guess you could say I was trying to win her back. Anyway, we went to Jones Beach and drank a little. Then she told me that it was all over between us in so many words, and for me to forget trying to get things started again. Well, I didn't take it too well, to say the least. And after I dropped her off at her house, I started drinking like a maniac and got really smashed. To make a long story short, when I got home, I continued totally abusing myself until I finally passed out on the bed. Then I had this weird dream. I dreamt that I got out of bed and decided to do myself in. So I grabbed my bottle of Old Crow, walked over to the Triborough, and proceeded to jump off into the East River. That's when the nightmare really began. Ellen was staring intently at him now. What happened? Well, after I jumped off, I waited to hit the water, but it never happened. I just kept falling and falling into complete darkness, and I felt for sure that I was going to hell. As I fell, I saw my whole life pass before me just like they say you do right before you die. I kept falling helplessly as my life swiftly unwound before my eyes, and for a second I saw the face of Satan. He was smiling at me and mumbling some kind of satanic gibberish. The next thing I knew, I couldn't catch my breath and my heart started palpitating. Finally, I guess I just died, because I woke up right after that in a cold sweat. How absolutely horrible! I'll bet you were glad to realize it was just a dream. God was I ever! As soon as I convinced myself that it was only a dream, I immediately started adopting a new outlook on life. It's ironic, because I actually feel better than I have in years after experiencing this dream. It made me realize that I was taking things in life much too seriously, and that I should be patient and quit worrying so much about my musical career and life in general. Otherwise, something like that dream could really happen, if I let myself get really out of hand. I also realized that all things will come in time. Somehow, if I just remain optimistic and keep faith in myself, it was really a miraculous revelation. Ellen was astounded at the striking similarity to her own waking thoughts that morning. She wanted to mention it to him, but right now she wanted to know something else. Do you still love her? Who? Oh, the girl from Long Island. I thought I did, but now I realize it was just a fling. I think it just seemed to be love because I wanted it to be love. And I was lonely. It's really kind of embarrassing telling you all this. Ellen tried to hide her relief. Don't feel embarrassed. Being lonely is nothing to be ashamed of. I think the problem with loneliness is not admitting it to yourself, to deny the fact that you truly are lonely. That's what's been wrong with me. Ellen couldn't believe her own words. She had suddenly made a discovery of herself. Adam stared at her, astonished. You've been lonely? I don't believe it. Yes, Adam. I've been very lonely. Ellen nodded, her eyes clouding up. She started weeping softly. Adam was confused at this sudden outbreak of emotion as he put his other arm around Ellen and held her close to him. But at the same time, he could somehow sense how she felt as he thought back to everything she had told him about herself. Her isolation, her total dedication to her career, her unwillingness to live a real life among real people, to even acknowledge their existence. Wasn't it his own life story? Ellen rested her head on his shoulder and whispered softly into his ear, Hold me, Adam. I just want to be held. Adam held her warm body even closer as the same feeling of deja vu swept over him. 
This has all happened before, but when? Ellen squeezed him tighter. Her body felt so good against his. Adam began stroking her long brown hair in an effort to console her soft sobbing. Then she lifted her head from his shoulder and faced him, her eyes moist with tears. He kissed her. Her lips were soft and responsive, sweet, like honey. As they kissed, Adam felt as though he was in heaven, and at that very moment knew he was in love with this beautiful stranger, beyond the shadow of a doubt. The kiss was short and sweet. Ellen slowly withdrew from Adam and stared directly into his eyes, her own eyes misty with happiness and desire. Thank you, Adam, was all she could say. They continued to stare into each other's eyes for a few moments, both of them feeling an invisible bond that neither could fully understand. Like a silent oath, it lingered between them, yet was inconceivable to either of them. They only knew that it existed. Suddenly, Ellen's eyes came alive with excitement as she spotted the guitar leaning against the ledge from the corner of her eye. Hey, you promised to play for me. Her sudden cheeriness was an unexpected but welcome surprise. Adam merely looked at her and grinned in mock defeat. Okay, you win. Ellen took Adam's hand and practically dragged him over to where the guitar was resting. You're acting like I just remind you of an appointment for a root canal. Come on, I can't wait any longer. Adam picked up the guitar and slung it over his shoulder like a soldier going into battle. Let's sit over there, Ellen said, pointing toward the opposite corner of the roof. Adam followed behind, feigning a military march. When they reached the spot, they sat down, and Adam strummed a quick chord. Ellen awaited anxiously. I really hate to say this, but we need some more beer, he smiled sheepishly. Ellen narrowed her eyes at him and laughed. Don't worry, I'll go down and get some more. Just give me the keys and you can be warming up. Right, Adam replied, groping for the keys in his pocket. He took them out and handed them to Alan. I'll be right back. Adam watched Ellen in the weak light as she strode gracefully across the roof. He noted her flawless figure as her hips swung sensuously from side to side, her tight denim jeans accentuating her every movement as if she were a model in a fashion show. Adam found himself yearning to discover the mysteries concealed beneath it all. Never in his life had he seen anyone more beautiful. As she disappeared out of sight, he realized that the beauty she possessed within was just as breathtaking as her obvious beauty without. Besides her charm and intelligence, there was a warmth and kindness in her manner, as well as strength and a sense of vulnerability. It was her vulnerability that Adam found most intriguing. It was almost as if she had just discovered her own existence for the first time, and needed him for reassurance of her discovery. He was also aware of his own vulnerability, and although the profoundness of all this was scary, he had a feeling that he needn't be fearful. Somehow, he knew that everything would be fine. Adam picked out a few notes on his guitar and heard the door shut from the other side of the roof. He saw Ellen walking toward him, carrying four cans of beer against her breast. She sat down beside him, her cheeks flushed and smiling. I ran into one of your neighbors just as I came out of your apartment. He looked at me very strangely. I told you they were creepy, Adam said, picturing the scenario in his mind. Ellen opened up a beer and handed it to Adam. On with the show, she said merrily. Adam gave an exaggerated sigh. God, I feel like I'm in an audition. Give me a chance to get in this a little, okay? Ellen smiled apologetically. I'm sorry. I know how you frustrated musicians are. Just take your time, dear. Adam took a big slug of his bud, then started plunking a few notes, trying to think of something decent to play. 
Finally, he decided on Blackbird by the Beatles, and he began finger-picking the intro. When he reached the main part of the song, he refrained from singing, but Ellen would have none of that. "'You're not singing. That's not fair,' she blurted. "'Oh, Lord, give me a break,' Adam moaned hopelessly. "'Come on, Adam. I love that song. But you have to sing.' Adam sighed. "'Okay. Just a second. He took another gulp of bud and played the intro again. Then, a little nervously, he began singing. Blackbird singing in the dead of night. Take these broken wings and learn to fly. All your life, you are only waiting for this moment to arise. Adam felt his confidence growing and began singing with more feeling, his voice steadily growing stronger and a bit more melodic with each line. Blackbird singing in the dead of night. Take these sunken eyes and learn to see. All your life, you are only waiting for this moment to be free. Adam continued playing and singing the song almost flawlessly, appreciating the meaning of the lyrics as if for the very first time. When he finished, Ellen was bubbling. That was great! You sing so beautifully! How can you sing and play at the same time like that? Oh, it's not very hard, was all he could say. Adam was obviously embarrassed by her flattery, and he took compliments like a sheep going to slaughter. Ellen continued staring at him incredulously. It's amazing! Adam, my dear, I think you're definitely in the right profession. You'd better stick with your career or I'll beat you up, she added playfully, socking him on the arm. Aw, shucks, Adam said stupidly, still reeling from her generous praise. Come on, let's hear another one. Do another Beatles song. Adam needed no more encouraging. He paused long enough to take another swig, then looked over at his captive audience. You must remember this, he smiled, and began playing the amazing intro to Norwegian Wood. As he played and sang the beautiful Lennon Penn ballad, Adam felt the tension dissipating. When he screwed up one of the verses, he just chuckled and started over, Ellen urging him on. When he finished, Ellen said, That was beautiful, Adam. Adam beamed. Well, thanks. Of course any song by the Beatles is great, and most of them are pretty easy to play. Their songs were all so simple, yet so powerful. So now let's hear one of your originals. Adam hesitated for a moment. Well, mine don't quite compare with the Beatles, so keep that in mind. I'll play you one of the first songs I wrote when I moved to New York. Adam began playing the ballad he felt was probably his strongest composition. His nervousness was completely gone now, and he was astounded at the uncanny sense of energy and encouragement that seemed to seep from Ellen into his very soul as she sat across from him and watched intently. When the song ended, Ellen applauded. Oh, that was wonderful! I just can't believe it you actually wrote that song. It was as good as the Beatles any day. Adam guffawed. Oh, come on now. The tune was okay, but it definitely doesn't touch the Beatles. Ellen smiled, her voice softening. In a way it was better, because you wrote it, and I'm with you. She reached down and squeezed his leg in emphasis. Adam melted. I feel like I've been paid the highest compliment I could possibly get, especially since it came from you. Thanks for your kind words. Where do you get the ideas for your songs, anyway? That one was so catchy. Just as Adam started to answer, it hit him again. Deja vu. He had been asked that same question before. Just recently, it seemed. He looked over at Ellen. For an eerie moment, he had a strange flashback. A frozen lake. A fire. Suddenly it vanished. If only he could remember. Adam? Ellen was staring right at him. Are you all right? Adam felt a little lightheaded. Huh? Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I guess my mind was, uh, wandering off. What did you ask me again? 
Your songs. Where do you get the ideas for them? Ellen repeated, showing some concern. As he answered, Adam felt as if he was reciting the lines from a long-forgotten high school play he had been in. Oh, well, I uh, just sort of kick a tune around till I get a good arrangement, and I'm sure that it all fits together. Then I just uh, dream up some words and fit them into the music. I think that the most important thing is the uh, uh, tune of the song, the, uh, the... He couldn't think of the right word. Melody? Ellen offered. She wondered why Adam was having such difficulty speaking. Adam froze. That word brought it all back to him, but only for a fleeting moment. That word meant something. But what? Ellen, say it again. Say it, he commanded. What? Say what? Ellen was totally confused. What you just said a second ago. Say it. Please say it. Adam was nearly hysterical now. Ellen thought for a moment, then recalled what she had said. She looked at Adam, whose eyes were wild with anticipation. She gazed into them and could sense the urgency behind them. Then she spoke. Melody? Like an enormous tidal wave crashing in, it all came back to him. The frozen lake, a fire, a beautiful girl with long brown hair, her maroon sweater, her tight jeans, her beautiful eyes, her voice. Melody! Ellen was Melody! Christ, you are her! I don't believe it, but there's no doubt about it. You are her. You are Melody, Adam shrieked triumphantly, his eyes wild with excitement. Ellen was completely bewildered. Who is Melody? Adam's eyes stared at her in disbelief. The girl in my dream. It's all come back to me now. God, this is incredible. You were in my dream last night. It was you. Adam, please calm down. You're freaking me out, Ellen cried, her voice trembling. Adam's eyes softened, ever so slightly. I'm sorry. You're right. I need to calm down. Adam picked up his beer and took a swig, then with trembling hands lit up a cigarette in an effort to regain his composure. He glanced at Ellen, who was staring intently at him with eyes ablaze in a mixture of wonder and confusion. Adam collected his thoughts and composure the best he could, then began speaking again. When I told you about the dream I had last night, I left part of it out. The part that I left out has for some reason been completely erased from my memory all day, and it wasn't until I met you that little pieces of it started coming back to me. I've been experiencing little episodes of deja vu all night. You know, like all these things have happened before. Anyway, when I heard you say her name, her name was Melody, everything came back to me. He paused for a moment as Ellen continued to stare at him her eyes transfixed. After I jumped off the bridge and saw my life pass before me, something else happened. I suddenly found myself back in Ohio, ice skating on a lake in Shawnee Forest I used to go to. And I was way back in the past, because my old black 67 Volkswagen was parked by the lake and I was listening to Abbey Road, which I just bought the day before. The strange thing about it is that I also felt as though I was in the present almost as if I had been transported back in time, but was experiencing everything in the present. You know how weird dreams are. But this dream was so real. Well, you just wouldn't believe how real it seemed. Anyway, I was alone, and it was nighttime. I was drinking beer and just skating around the lake when suddenly, from out of nowhere, a girl materialized in the middle of the lake. She skated out to meet me, and I had never seen her before in my life. She told me that her name was Melody, and I swear to God, she looked exactly like you. Not only did she look like you, but she talked like you, acted like you, and even wore the same clothes you're wearing now. Melody was you, for Christ's sakes. Something cold and wet landed on Adam's nose. 
Totally oblivious to it in his excitement, he noticed an odd expression on Ellen's face as he took a drag off his cigarette and continued excitedly. After Melody told me her name, I asked her where she came from, and she said another planet, which totally flipped me out. Before I could get her to tell me the truth, she took my hand and we started to skate. I asked her how she knew me, and she told me that she had seen me playing in my band at gigs, and that she loved my songs. Well... I couldn't remember ever seeing her before anywhere, and she insisted that she had been there, but I just hadn't noticed her. That's when I started getting suspicious about everything, and asked her to more or less level with me and tell me the truth about what was going on. She told me that she was fulfilling some kind of fantasy of hers by being with me, and to please not ask her any more questions about herself. She said that all she wanted to do was to be with me, and that she was finally making her dream come true. I realized I was making my own dream come true by being with her. She, or rather you, were just so beautiful and I felt so happy. God, it was so real. I can't believe I can remember every little detail so clearly. It was beginning to snow. Adam didn't notice. Ellen was now staring at him in utter disbelief. She wanted to speak, but couldn't. After a while, we skated over to the fire at the edge of the lake and sat down next to each other, just like we're sitting here now. She flattered me some more about my music and told me that I should stick it out, because some day I could make it if I just kept at it. God, she made me feel great. We sat at the fire for a while, drinking beer and just watching the snow. Christ, it's snowing. Adam stopped cold and watched the flurries dancing wildly about. Yes, it's snowing, Adam. Please go on, Ellen said as if at a distance. Adam gazed at her. She appeared to be all but totally lost in thought. Are you all right? I'm fine, Adam. Please tell me the rest. You're sure you're all right? Yes, I'm fine. I'm just anxious to hear the rest of this. Well, okay. Man, I can't believe it's snowing. Anyway, we talked for a while and watched the snow falling on the lake. It was snowing really big flakes, just like this. And then she told me to hold her, just like you did a little while ago. I know you aren't believing any of this, but it's true. I swear it. So we kissed for a while, and she told me that I made her feel very happy that night. I was quite happy myself, to say the least, and I started thinking how much I loved being with her and how I wished we could just make the night last forever. I was in heaven. Then she started crying for some reason. She thanked me for letting her fulfill her fantasy, and then all of a sudden she told me she had to leave and not to ask her why. I was devastated. Before she left, something very strange happened. Her voice changed completely, and she told me something like, I would meet someone some day who loved me as much as I loved her, and that everything would be fine if I just had faith in myself. She said that if I didn't have faith in myself, I would be totally lost forever. And then she, Oh my God! Ellen screamed. What? Ellen stared at Adam wild-eyed. It wasn't a dream, Adam. It wasn't a dream. Adam gaped at her, stupefied. What do you mean? It wasn't a dream. It was me. Oh my God! This is unreal! "'Ellen, what are you saying?' Adam demanded, his voice quivering noticeably. Ellen looked him straight in the eye. "'It really was me with you on that lake, and you didn't dream it. It really happened,' she cried, her expression a mixture of shock and fascination. "'Are you trying to tell me that this fricking dream of mine was real? That you and me were really in Smithtown, Ohio, ice-skating on Wolf Den Lake last night? Yeah, right, and pigs fly, too. Ellen, my dear, you have gone absolutely bonkers.' Ellen was undaunted by Adam's skepticism. She took a sip of her beer and stared at him once again, as if to reaffirm something that she already knew was true. Oh, my God, was all she said. Ellen took another drink before continuing. She spoke swiftly and excitedly. 
pausing only long enough to catch her breath. "'Adam, I swear it happened. I know it just as sure as I'm sitting here. There was this man. No, two men. I don't know where I was or how I got there. But I was with these two men. One of them was really old and had a long white beard. I'd seen him before just yesterday on Second Avenue. Anyway, he and this other man, who wore a white robe, were with me in this really weird room. The man in the robe told me that I'd be returning to Earth soon, and asked me if I would participate in an experiment they were conducting. Christ, I didn't know where the hell I was, but apparently I was on another planet somewhere, far, far away from Earth. I remember feeling grateful to them for something, like they had just saved my life or something like that. Hell, I told them I'd do anything, they asked me, because I was so grateful to them. Then they took me over to some kind of huge television screen. You were on that screen. You were walking down the street, the same one that I met you on, come to think of it. Then the old man, the one with the beard, looked at me and said, See this young man? He's going to try and take his own life tonight. Then he told me that I could save your life, if my will was strong enough, and if you were strong enough. This old man was some kind of mystic or something. Then he told me all about you, about your past, and how frustrated you were with yourself. It was so sad, and I started crying hysterically for some reason. But the man in the robe finally managed to console me. Then the old man told me that I'd be joining you soon, and that I was to try and encourage you, or as he put it, to show this young man that there is some hope in life for him. I remember his words exactly. It was all so strange, and it all seems a little blurry now, but that's more or less what happened. Then he said that time was of the essence, and led me over to some kind of platform in the corner of this weird room. He explained to me that the platform was part of a technological breakthrough, and then assured me that this new technology had been thoroughly tested and was completely safe. He told me to stand there on the platform and wait and that I would soon be with you on Earth. As I stood there, I wasn't the least bit frightened for some reason, and all I was worried about was that I might fail in saving you. Then the man in the robe came over to me and said something really strange. First he told me that I would remember absolutely nothing of what was happening or what was going to happen. Then he sort of smiled and said that only a miraculous consummation would enable me to recall. He went on to say that the likelihood of this occurring was slight, and that if it did occur, it would mean that the experiment had been an unprecedented success. He really lost me there. But one thing's for certain, I definitely do remember, and I'm almost certain that this would have been completely forgotten had I not met you tonight, and if you hadn't told me all about your dream... It was while you were recounting it that everything started sounding familiar. Then it all came back to me in the sudden rush when it started snowing. Adam was listening intently and in disbelief. So far, almost everything she had said sounded like some kind of fairy tale. So what happened next? Ellen gawked at him. You don't believe me, do you? You still think I'm crazy. I'm sorry, Ellen, but this is pretty hard for me to swallow. Well, don't worry, Mr. Skeptical. You'll believe me before I'm through, she declared. Adam was so confused now that he didn't know what to believe. Ellen was the same girl in his dream, that much he was sure of. As amazing as it was to conceive, that fact remained. Maybe he had seen her in the street or the subway one day, and she had stuck in his subconscious. That would explain the bizarre coincidence that she looked exactly like Melody in his dream. But what about everything else? Her voice, her mannerisms, even her clothes, for Christ's sakes. Ellen had even said the same things that Melody had said to him in his dream, verbatim. Not only that, but Ellen had behaved and reacted just as Melody had, almost to the letter T, as if she was acting out a role in a play that she knew by heart. Was that sheer coincidence? There really was no logical explanation. Nevertheless, it simply had to be a dream. For if what she was saying had indeed happened, it meant that everything he had dreamt had been real, and that implied something that he could not, and flatly would not, accept. That he had in fact jumped off the Triborough Bridge. 
It just wasn't possible. He would never have ever contemplated suicide, much less actually follow through with it. Or would he? God forbid. He simply had to hear the rest. Okay, I'll try to keep an open mind and hear you out, he finally said to Ellen. What happened next? Before she continued, Ellen sat and stared at Adam for a moment. She could tell exactly what he had just been thinking about by the expression on his face, and at that very moment she made a vow to herself. She vowed that no matter what happened after tonight, and no matter how long it may take, she was going to do everything that she possibly could to make Adam forget the awful truth he had just come to realize, or was about to realize, for she knew beyond the shadow of a doubt that she was in love with him, and that she had finally realized her true purpose in life. She continued, well, I just stood on that platform and waited. The two of them huddled around the screen, apparently observing you. Then, after a moment or two, the older man said, Subject is on the edge, or something like that. Immediately, he started chanting some gibberish in a foreign language that sounded like Latin, as he continued watching the screen. It was almost like some kind of prayer. Then he said something like, Subject is watching his entire life unfold before him now. We must observe him very closely. After a few more minutes, he said, I'm making contact. He is now in touch with Torres. Then he said something to the effect that he was going to suspend you during one of your more carefree times, and how it was essential that you be absolutely alone and at ease with yourself. A few seconds later, he said, Now, and all of a sudden, I totally blacked out. The next thing I knew, I was standing in the middle of a frozen lake. It was snowing lightly, and for some reason I had trouble catching my breath at first. I remember noticing that I was now wearing ice skates with little bells on them, which really freaked me out. Then I recalled that one of the men had told me I would adapt to the situation appropriately, which explained why my penny loafers had suddenly transformed themselves into a pair of white figure skates. I started looking around, then spotted you skating at the other end of the lake. It was a strange sensation, because even though I couldn't see you very clearly, I knew it was you. Once I got my bearings, all I wanted to do was hurry and reach you before it was too late. I started skating toward you and waving my hands, but for some reason I couldn't talk. Maybe it was because I didn't really know exactly what I was going to say. Then you suddenly went around a curve behind some trees, and I started feeling desperate. I started thinking about what I was going to say, if and when I caught up with you. And that's when I made up my story about being a big fan of yours. The old man had told me that you were a musician, and that you played in a band. He told me that music was very important to you, and that in reality, it was the source of much of your frustration. I figured that somehow I had to boost your ego, so I dreamed up my little story because it was the only logical approach I could think of. Suddenly you reappeared from around the curve. You stood there and waited for me to reach you, and I just kept waving my arms without saying a thing. God, I didn't think I was ever going to make it. At that very moment, Adam knew that it was all true. Finally, I caught up with you. I said, hello, Adam, and you said hello back to me, then wanted to know my name. I still don't know why I made up the name Melody. Maybe because I was so damn nervous and music was lurking in my subconscious. Anyway, once I told you Melody, I knew that I was stuck with it and could hardly tell you my real name after this grand entrance of mine, so I didn't bother. Then I asked you if you mind some company, that I hated skating alone. You looked bewildered, but obliged me. Are you beginning to believe me now? Adam was in absolute shock. He couldn't speak. He just nodded. Let me tell you the rest. At first, all I was thinking about was how sorry I felt for you, and how I had to save you from dying. I felt as though I was on a mission of mercy. But very soon, it became much more than that. 
As we skated back to the fire, I found myself becoming very attracted to you, and I guess you could say that I was completely flipped over you. I tried to tell myself that it wasn't happening. That just couldn't happen, because that wasn't what I was there for. I was there to restore your faith in yourself, to give you new hope, to save your life, not to fall in love with you. I started feeling confused and selfish because of my own happiness in being with you. Oh, Adam, it was so beautiful. The lake, the snow, the fire, everything. When you held me in your arms, I just wanted to stay there forever. I never felt so happy in my life. But I knew that I had to go, and that I'd never see you again, so I started crying. Then, on top of everything else, I felt as if I had failed because of my own selfishness and that you were going to die. Then suddenly, I felt someone's presence in my body. I think it was the man who wore the robe. Somehow, he assured me that everything would be all right and that I had to keep my faith. When I spoke to you in that strange voice, it was really him speaking through me. After I, or rather he, spoke those words, he told me that it was time for me to leave, that I had served my purpose. As I skated back out onto the ice, I started crying again, and I could feel the man's presence leaving my body. But then, just before his presence had completely left, he told me that I had succeeded, and that you were going to live. I started smiling, and suddenly just blacked out. That's all I can remember. At a total loss for words, Adam sat in silence, his emotions mixed. On one hand, he was absolutely sickened by the realization that he had indeed tried to kill himself, and that fact left him in a state of shock and anger at his own selfish stupidity. Not only had he let himself down, but what about his parents and the others who cared about him? How could he become so mindless and forsake them so thoughtlessly? He didn't know. On the other hand, he acknowledged the fact that he hadn't succeeded in his attempt to destroy himself, and that left him with a feeling of immense relief and gratefulness. Relief that he was still alive, and gratefulness to Ellen, this beautiful girl sitting beside him, who was by all rights his savior. He couldn't comprehend how or why these phenomenal events happened, and for the moment didn't really care. He only knew that they were real, in a sort of unreal way, and that they most likely would never be explained. And now, as he looked into Ellen's beautiful eyes through the dancing snowflakes, all he wanted to do was hold her. He took Ellen in his arms and held her tight. He could feel her heart pounding against his chest, and smell the same sweet fragrance of perfume on her neck that had intoxicated him the night before. The snowflakes melted on his nose as he buried his face in her soft brown hair. "'I love you, Adam,' she whispered in his ear. "'I love you too, Ellen.' He whispered back. They kissed. Her lips were soft and warm against his. It was a gentle kiss, one of absolute love and compassion. As they kissed, the whole world lay at their feet. The void had finally been filled. They withdrew. Adam looked at Ellen, and he could see himself. She saw herself in him. They were one, bound together by a common inseparable bond. In a few moments of silence, the riddle of mortal life had been solved once and for all. Love was the ultimate solution. Ellen smiled, her eyes twinkling in the dim light emitted from the all but obscured city. The snow was falling relentlessly, and the roof was quickly becoming a solid mass of immaculate white. It was snowing in April. Oh, Adam, it is so beautiful. It's magical. She looked at him playfully. Let's make love. Let's do it. Adam took her by the hand, and they stood up. After hastily collecting the worldly goods of their respective trades, they made their way through the soft white blanket of snow to the door, 
Just as Adam opened the door for her, Ellen paused and kissed him hard on the lips, her eyes filled with excitement and anticipation. I can't believe this is happening. It's just beginning to happen, my dear, Adam replied. They ran down the stairs to Adam's apartment. Once inside, they heaped their forsaken wares in the kitchen and quickly made their way into the bedroom. The window behind the bed was partially open, and wisps of white powder blew in through the screen, and fell upon them as they lay down and embraced each other. Moments later, when neither could wait any longer, they made love. As they did so, they expressed their mutual love for each other in hushed, excited voices. They made love slowly and steadily, wanting it to last forever. When it did at last end in an explosion of ecstasy, Adam and Ellen lay together in each other's arms, exhausted and completely drained, but unquestionably happy. Then they fell asleep. Later on that night, Adam held Ellen as they both gazed out the window behind the bed. It was still snowing hard, and the normally drab view outside had been transformed into a beautiful white landscape. It almost looked as if it was daylight with the whiteness of the snow reflecting all traces of available light. A subway train went by, but the usual roaring clatter was all but absorbed by the freshly fallen blanket of snow. "'Isn't this amazing?' Adam said, shaking his head in awe at the wintry spectacle. Ellen looked over at him and smiled. "'This whole night has been sort of special, hasn't it?' "'I'll say. When I woke up this morning, I had a feeling that this was going to be a great day.' but I never imagined it would end up like this. I felt the exact same way. So now we come to the big question. Where do we go from here? Ellen put her hand to his cheek, and Adam turned to face her. I've already given that some thought, my dear. For starters, I'm throwing a party next weekend, and you simply have to come. I've invited some people I haven't seen in years, and I'm going to be nervous as hell. I need you there for moral support, as well as for some other reasons that I trust you already know. My uncle will be there, too, with his girlfriend, whom I haven't yet met. I just know that you'll like him, and I want to show you off to him. Oh, Adam, please tell me you'll come. It'll be fun. Her eyes were pleading and hopeful. Of course I will. It sounds great, Adam replied. But why will you be so nervous? I mean, they're all friends of yours, aren't they? Well, it's kind of hard to explain. They are my friends and all, but I've been out of touch with most of them for quite a long time. I just don't know how I'm going to react. Let's just say I'm not exactly teeming with self-confidence in the area of social skills right now. Besides, I have all but snubbed these people at one time or another and feel terribly guilty about it. They used to call me on the phone and invite me to do things with them, and I always make up some kind of excuse. You have to remember that I've been totally wrapped up in my work and a virtual hermit for years. Opening up is something very new to me, but with you there by my side, I'll feel much better. Adam understood her dilemma. It was similar to his own. Well, I haven't exactly been a gallivanting socialite myself lately, but I'll do the best I can. It'll be a challenge for us both. Ellen's eyes brightened. Great! She paused for a moment and then said, Now, you have to promise me something. What's that? That you will come over and see me tomorrow after you get off work. Adam smiled broadly. I promise. I'll definitely be there. And the next day? If you think you can put up with me, he replied. And the day after that? Whoa, now wait a minute here. If we're going to be spending so much time at your place, I might as well just sublet my apartment and move in with you, Adam exclaimed jokingly. You should, Ellen replied quite seriously. Adam stared at her suspiciously. Are you trying to get at something? I am. Adam gave her a look that told her all she needed to know. 
Jubilantly, she threw her arms around him and kissed him as hard as she could. You won't regret it, she said, and kissed him again. Adam faced her and tried to look as serious as he could. But can you cook? Of course I can cook. I'm Italian. Adam just smiled and said, I should have known. I hope you enjoyed The Edge. This was actually the first novel I ever wrote, way back in 1985. My newest novel is The Mayday Murders, and if you haven't heard it yet, it's also available as a podcast. I would love to hear your feedback, so please take a moment to post it either on iTunes or at my website at scottwittenberg.com. And of course, all three of my novels are available in paperback if you would like to own the written versions. Thanks for listening, and thanks for your support.